Hello and welcome. We're going to continue on through Malachi. This is going to be our fifth installment of a midweek on Malachi. And we're walking through Malachi. And the big idea of Malachi is that God is confronting his people because of demonstrated acts and attitudes of dishonor towards him. And so he is calling them back to treat him as he is a great God, a great and mighty King, a wonderful and holy Father. And he's calling them to a a true and wonderful life and out of kind of a bitterness and a distraction and a dishonoring that they're doing with God. And so in this next section here, where um, God is confronting his people about a, a bad attitude they have towards people who do wicked things, people who do evil things, people who reject the Lord. And it seems like they're going to get away with it, that God just isn't going to do anything. And so they have a really bad attitude about it. And so God responds with the promise that, no, at the right time, he will come and act. And so here is the word of God, starting in Malachi 2, verse 17, and following through. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress, the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. One of the first things that we can see from this passage is that God has an emotional life of sorts. Uh, God is infinite. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He can see everything from every angle. He knows it all. And his um, inner being, if you want to put it like this, this, his emotional life is itself infinite. It's gigantic. It's huge. It's, it's simple and it's complex. It's, it's everything. But God has no problem talking about how he's feeling when he's confronting his people either for encouragement and expressing his love and faithfulness or um, expressing how unbelief is impacting him. And so as he speaks to his people in this case, he says that they have worn him out. He's weary. And that's an amazing thing to think. Um, You know, Isaiah says that your father does not grow weary. You know, he actually gives strength to the people. But in this case, he's saying something different. He's not saying God's tired from too much work. You know, he stayed up too late last night. He needs a nap or needs a cup of coffee because his eyelids are getting a little heavy. He's saying that there's kind of like a spiritual, relational weariness that's coming upon the Lord. And it's because he's being accused of evil. His people um, are seeing what they perceive to be people doing wrong and nothing happening to them. 
And instead of praying or seeking the Lord with faith, they actually become embittered in spirit. They look at what's going on, and instead of turning to the Lord and saying, do something, Lord, or save, Lord, or grant them repentance, Lord, they instead accuse the Lord and they say, you know, as far as we can tell, when people do what's wrong, God's pleased with them. Look at the consequences. You know, people do what's wrong, they rob, and they get to keep what they've stolen. They cheat, and they grow rich. They, they oppress people, they beat them up, and they, they're healthier than the people they've beaten up. Nothing goes wrong with them. Aha! And then the bitter part of their soul says, God must be pleased with those who do wicked. And to hear those words coming out of his people, to see that attitude in their hearts, that kind of bitter attitude, God says, that's a wearisome thing to me, that you would speak about me like that. I'm a great king, and I am the best father. And to have you saying these things is, is cutting. It's grievous. It's grieving to his soul. And so that's, that's a good thing to know about the Lord. The Lord is alive. He's not a robot. He's not just a bunch of buttons that you press to pop out the candy bar you want. He's a real person. And we know him more clearly now than we did in Malachi, that he is three persons in one. He is the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they're persons, and they we relate with them, we interact with them. Um, he he sees what's going on in our lives, and he has thoughts, he has opinions, he has responses, and he responds with grace to faith, and he can be grieved by unbelief. And so that's where we can start. God, we need to acknowledge God is in this heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. If you want to put it like that, even though I'm talking about the great spirit God, he's in on this. The next thing we can see is that God's response to them is to say, I am going to do something. Okay, so he says, I will send my messenger to prepare the way for me. And when I come, I'm going to be like a refiner. Okay, when I come, everyone's going to know it because I am going to change things. I'm going to take out the impurities. I'm going to wash away dirt like fuller soap. I am going to get rid of stuff and I will confront the people who don't fear me. I'll confront the sinners. I'll confront the sorcerers and the adulterers, people who won't pre- repent of their sin, I will confront them. But he also says, he will purify the sons of Levi. Now, if we've been reading this book, that's who he's usually talking to, the Levites, the priests, the very people who are complaining about God not being righteous. He says, I'm going to send my messenger before me, and then I will show up, and he's going to refine you. And they, they're sitting there going, what are you talking about? It's, it's everybody else that's the problem. It's everybody else who's doing bad. It's everybody else who's doing wrong. And God's saying to them, look, most of the world doesn't even know me. You're my Levites. You're my people. You're my extra close people. And so when I come, I'm actually going to purify you first because judgment starts with the house of the Lord. The author of Hebrews says it starts with God's people. When he comes to change things and to confront sin, he confronts the sins of God's people first. He starts with the leaders and then he moves through the church and he, he's good intentioned in it, but he, he, when he comes to act, he acts a certain way. He comes to confront sin and he starts with his people first. And so there's this weird irony as God is saying, I'm going to show you what, who I am as a great king and as a great father. When you complain about evil, I will come to stop the evil and I'll start with stopping your evil first. So how are they meant to respond to this? Well, two ways. Number one, they're supposed to humble themselves. You're supposed to say, ah, sorry, you know, I, I see now that I was accusing you of wrongdoing this whole time. When I complained about the amount of time you took 
to, to deal with the situation here. I was accusing you of being a bad God, not a great king, and not a good father. And so I repent. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And the next thing you're supposed to do is search his own heart. When someone longs for justice, they almost always long for God to hurt somebody else, for God to punish somebody else. And we're blind to the places where God has been patient with us. We're blind to the situations where where calling out for justice means me going to jail along with the other person that I'm mad about. And so there's this kind of call for, for mercy, saying, God, have mercy on me. And, and I will help to want to have mercy on other people more. Maybe when I cry out, I'll be crying out more for their rescue and their salvation, not so much just their punishment. And I won't just get embittered and say, ah, oh, evil people, they're God's favorites now anyways. What am I doing here worshiping him? I'm wasting my time. This is no good. Instead, you know, it's a repenting to God and then searching our own hearts first, going when God shows up, he's going to come looking to see if I have faith or if I'm walking in disobedience. And then we need to know, as believers, that there is a day when God will set all things right. Uh, People often talk about the problem of evil. You know, if God's a good God, how can he allow evil things to happen? Maybe he isn't a good God, or maybe he's not a true God. Maybe he's not strong enough to stop stuff. Uh, Maybe, you know, he's made a deal with himself that... you know, free will. Hey, free will. If someone's going to do e- evil, I, I can't stop them. I've decided that I'm going to let free will happen. And, and that's the end of it. I, I can't. I've, I've, it, I would be kind of ruining my godhood by interfering with created free will. And there's lots of ways and avenues that people can come to accuse God of, of not being a good God or of failing to really judge evil. But God says there is a day when he comes and he'll make everything right. Sometimes, in part, he'll do it in human history. Okay, like when he sent Jesus and his people rejected him and crucified him, the result of that was the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. In AD 70, he prophesied, everything here is going to be destroyed because you're rejecting me, and that came true. So there was in time a partial fulfillment of justice. But at the end of time, when Jesus comes for his second coming, he will raise all people from the dead and he will make all things right. He will execute a perfect justice. And for those of us who have come to him in faith and knelt down before him in our hearts and said, I believe in you, you're my Lord, and my God, all of our sins will have been punished already on the cross. And that will be our justice. It's not like we're just forgiven and our sins go away. No, it's already punished. Justice has been meted out to us, has been executed on us in Christ Jesus on his cross. For everyone who has rejected faith in God and scorned the cross and embraced sin, they will become one with their sin. They'll become identified with their sin and God will bring about perfect justice on them as well. And when he is done, no one is going to have one thing to complain about as God reveals all his glory and his wisdom and his power in how he has wrapped up human history in Christ Jesus for perfect justice. That will happen. It seems beyond belief. It seems beyond understanding. And when you see pictures of war zones, you just think this isn't possible. But what isn't possible is for a man to come back from the dead. And that has already happened. And so, this is God's down payment. I've raised a man from the dead after dying for sinners, 
And when he comes back, he will perfectly bring about the justice of God with nothing left over and no remainders and nothing to complain about. And every single worshiping soul will get down on their knees and cast their crowns at God's feet and say, you are the God of true power and might and justice. You do all things well. From the bottom of my heart, I pray, God, hasten that day for your glory and your worship. Amen.